Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. I got a real treat today. I got a, a chance to talk to a, uh, an old friend of mine, uh, John Nolte of Breitbart, who is now a first-time published novelist with a new book called Borrowed Time. And I was just explaining to John, I haven't had a chance to read it yet because reasons. <laughs> But I'm looking forward to it. John, first off, congratulations. This is no easy feat, I can tell you that, from personal experience trying to get a novel published. It was uh, it was a labor of love. Um, it took about six years to plot, five years to plot. It took two years to write. And I never thought I'd finish it. I assumed if I finished it, it wouldn't be very good. Then I assumed it would never get published. So it's been it's been a very uh, gratifying experience. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with the reaction so far. I'm thrilled with the publisher. I'm thrilled with the accomplishment. And uh, I think people will like the book. And I want them to know that if they buy the book and they decide they don't like it, that uh, I'm offering them this 100% guarantee that whatever money I make off that book, I will spend on my Blu-ray collection. <laughs> It's the best I can offer. <laughs> That's a pretty damn good offer. It's the best I can offer. That's <laughs> like the, is it Pawn Stars that does that? Well, the best I can offer is. Uh, That's is, right. Yeah, yeah, I've seen the memes. So there you go. That's 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 great. I was, gonna, I was just about to say, are you nuts? But uh, yeah, No, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but so far, the reviews at uh, Amazon, they've been they've been awesome. I couldn't be happier with the with the reviews. It's uh you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to write a page turner. It's not a political book in the sense that it's partisan. You know, I'm not, right. you know, it's not a mega book or anything like that. And those books are fine, but I just didn't want to write one like that. And uh, I just wanted to write a page turner that would take people away because I miss that. I miss things being not political, movies and TV shows and books, and you just can't escape anymore because they always keep pulling you in. So I want to write a page turner that took people away. It, it obviously reflects my worldview, but there's a way to do that without bludgeoning people with talking points and uh you know i want to make hopefully they'll feel something when it's over and i've been very happy with the with the response it's kind of scary you know you know this you you wrote a book it's like you're dropping your pants in front of the world it's it's a it's a scary thing it is a scary thing and uh and yeah i mean um i i am still very proud of my book it didn't sell very well it was um i think a victim of um an unusual um political cycle it's not, i mean victim it just you know it, yeah. it came out. The timing was just not great for it. Um, and it's everything. I'm so proud of it. And uh, you know, it, it's at a certain point. Um, have you written nonfiction before, or is this your first book, your first published book? Yeah, no, I've, I've, you know, I've been very lucky because Breitbart News has given me all kinds of opportunities. But the thought of writing a nonfiction book, you know, something like Ninety Nine Reasons CNN Sucks, I just, <laughs> it, it would probably sell you know, better than a fiction book will, but I just, it, the money's not worth it to me. I just didn't want to do yeah. that. No, no, I, 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 I get it. But I mean, um, you know, I, first off, I'm sure this is going to sell very well. Uh, but at a certain point, you do have to say to yourself, look, I've done the best I can. You know, what the book does is what the book will do. And yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to promote it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to get people interested in it. But the book is going to do what it's going to do. Um, and that's, I think, th the toughest lesson uh to to learn and that's i would assume it's true if you got a bestseller and it's certainly true if you don't i can talk about that from personal experience but um <laughs> but sure let, we'll but I digress. let's I'm let's sure we'll not be able to commiserate 
But you know, I, you can't you can't write it for the money. There's no money in it. You just you got to do it for the accomplishment, and that's why I just the story just sucked me in, and I had to tell it. And I hope that never happens again. You know, before we get into what the book is and, and the plot, I, I'm curious because what you just said I think makes a ton of sense. You know, if you're going to write a novel. And I've been approached on this. Well, why don't you write a novel about politics and we'll partner you up with somebody. And, uh, you know, had a, this was a proposal that came to me several years ago. And I entertained it for a bit, you know, kind of batted some ideas back and forth. I was thinking, if I'm going to write about politics, I'll just do it on the blog. <laughs> and then this, exactly. and then the book came up shortly after that, I think. Was, <laughs> it was like, okay, well, I can write about politics for the book too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, you write about entertainment. Um over at Bright, you're right about a bunch of things over at um, uh, Breitbart, um, but you also, you know, you're very good at entertainment. And I'm wondering if if that isn't what, just that experience of trying to get people to separate, you know, get Hollywood to get the politics out of their own offerings is what drove some of your impetus here. It, when I was, when I decided it was, I tried to write it as a screenplay, which was a mistake because I'm not a good screenwriter. But I, with the screenplay, I had the outline of the book, more or less. And then I knew I'd have to write a novel, and that was a whole new learning experience. I've never even tried to write a novel or even a short story before. So, but it did, to your question, it informed me when I was writing the book not to get political. Don't, because even if I did something that our side would like, you know, if I had Trump save the day or something, it takes you out of the story. It just, right. it just it just ruins the story. I don't have a problem with political movies. I mean, Spike Lee and Oliver Stone are two of my favorite, favorite modern day directors. I think they're brilliant. And sometimes Spike Lee can go a little far, but they both made brilliant left wing movies and they don't take me out of the story because even though they're making a political point, thematically, they're about something bigger. JFK is about uh, is about what a man is willing to do to find the truth. Platoon is about a, a young man deciding between good, uh, the William Defoe character, or evil, the Tom Berenger character. So they work in theme instead of instead of rhetoric. And so when I was writing my book, I said, I'm just not, I'm I'm not gonna do this. It's gonna reflect things I believe in, but I'm not gonna do it in a way. So I had some left-wing friends, I have left-wing friends, believe it or not, and I had a couple of them read it, and I didn't tell them anything. But when it was done, I said, well. Did it put you off at all? And they both told me, no, not at all. We know it's, we know what you believe, but there wasn't a moment in there. So to answer your question, it had a lot to do. And I don't think I would have done that um, had I not been so upset with Hollywood over what they've done. Cause there could be right wing woke too. And I wasn't going to do that. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, this, this sort of doctrinal um, approach to um or dogmatic, I would say. Right, dogmatic uh, entertainment. You know, and, and we've seen some of that. And I don't want to necessarily name names, but I mean, I, I recall a movie that came out several years ago that was supposed to be the, you know, the conservative political comedy. And it had some talented people involved in it. But mm -hmm. it was not good. And people got upset when some of us said, uh, you know, good effort. <laughs> You love the spirit, but, uh, you know, uh, the execution wasn't very good and people got very upset by that. But it was because it was just sort of like this hammer over the head, you know, and it wasn't funny. I mean, there was no real there was no humor to it. It was um, predictable. And 
you know, didn't have any charm. And so that's, I think these are great points. The reason why you want to write outside of that paradigm. Um, yeah, you, you, my other wish too. It's, yeah, I wish, you know, there's no, you can make a political point without, I think a storyteller's primary job is to cast a spell. And the biggest sin they can commit is violating that spell. And the fastest way to violate that spell is to bring the the real world into it. Right. And that's just what they're doing all the time now. And it's it's so off-putting and it's frustrating. And I've, you know, I've been defended. Most of the years I've worked at Breitbart, I've defended Hollywood and I've stopped because it's just so awful now. I, as far as I'm concerned, the whole industry can burn. There's, I'm not, there's nothing to miss. There's nothing to cherish anymore. You know, I still go to the movies and I still enjoy movies. And, you know, some of them are very good and some of them are, you know, completely apolitical, which is really nice. Um, but yes. Uh, the problem is, is that a lot, there's a lot more of that that isn't and yeah. uh, isn't that way. And uh, I don't know if we want to get into any of the stuff over there. I'd rather talk about your book, <laughs> which we should start doing at some point. <laughs> Borrowed Time by John Nolte, which is now available in bookstores and online, Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble. And uh, hang on, you got to you got to say something while you're showing that because the screen this is, is my book. You should buy it. And I give a hundred percent guarantee if you don't like it. <laughs> did at the beginning, absolutely. Borrowed time. So tell us about borrowed time. What's the premise of borrowed time? Well, I have uh, the story started as sort of a mental exercise for me. I wasn't thinking about writing a book. I was just thinking about, you know, a what if? What, what would it be like if someone like me, just an everyday guy, I'm not a vampire, I'm not a superhero. What if I were immortal? And how would I deal with that? What if I'd been alive for thousands of years? How would you deal with that in a modern culture like ours, where you can feel the conformity pressing down on all of us, the the photo IDs and the DNA, um, the mandates, the the uh, everybody carries a camera, your 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 phone tracks you. If you were immortal, you'd have to stay hidden. So how would you stay hidden? And the second question I asked was, what would it be like emotionally to know you're going to watch? everything you love die. And the third question I had, and I've never seen this answered, and I'm not saying someone has in a format that I just didn't see it, but what would happen at the end? At the very end, eventually the universe is going to break apart, but you can't die. So what happens to you? Ooh. So I started asking those questions of myself. I started answering them and I had some interesting ideas. And then I came up with the idea that this guy could sell his life to wealthy people. They could kill him. That's his renewable resource that they could kill him and he would just come back. And that's how he could make money to help his struggling family. And that's kind of where the second act of the book takes off. He gets involved with the wrong people um, and and everything goes from there. And, to, right, and I take him right to the end. That's very, very interesting. It's an intriguing concept. You know, there was one thing in there that kind of reminded me a little bit of the Green Mile, right? Because that was sort of the question that was asked at the, in the Green Mile was, you know, what's it like to see everybody that you love die right uh, the, the you know the tom hanks film based on the stephen king novella i think it was with it was like six Hanks. little books he put out six or seven little books he put out one a month for a while yeah it was serialized novella i think is really yeah. good. really good movie um you know that was one of the ones that just nailed the emotional tone was just nailed perfectly on that especially at the end um so i mean I, i've seen that addressed kind of mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I don't know that it took it beyond the question, though. I mean, if you just experience it at the, at the uh, not to give spoilers away for a for you know a twenty year old movie, but you know, <laughs> the commenters still get mad. <laughs> oh yeah, what, what? I haven't seen that yet. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it doesn't resolve that question, right? It just presents it, and right. and I think what you're talking about is you really want to, if, if not resolve it, you really want to flesh it out. And yeah, I wanted to, the, the character is relatable in the sense that he's an everyday person. I, it, even though it's set in the modern day and beyond, it's, I gave it a sense of a Western. This guy's a loner, loner. He lives in the, in the, uh, in the Southwest. Um, and things like in a classic Western movie, um, things only turn around for him when he gets emotionally involved. And then he gets emotionally involved and he starts understanding the, the loss he's about to face and he makes mistakes. And that's the other thing is that even though uh, my protagonist, his name is Joshua Mason, he's sort of the hero of the story. He's he's flawed. He's a flawed hero, which I think makes it more interesting than a Dudley Do-Right. And um, but all of this, it helps to drive the plot because he's dealing with emotions he's never dealt with before. And he he makes mistakes. And one of the mistakes he makes is you know, to be blunt is being dumb enough to sell his life online. I don't, I don't see how you're going to get out of that without getting in trouble, but he's desperate. He's desperate. He not, he, he not only has a wife to support, she has a brain damaged grandson who's 36 years old, but he's got the mentality of a seven-year-old and he's got to protect that kid. In his mind, it's a kid. And then another turning point in the story is that you find out that that, that, that kid is not Lenny from Of Mice and Men. There's, there's, uh, he's not as innocent as everybody thought he was. Ooh, interesting. All right. Yeah, I mean, very complicated things. You know, I I guess I I, I want to ask questions that I probably shouldn't ask because I want to read the book. <laughs> but <laughs> but okay, I, I'll, I'll try to be as cryptic. I won't spoil anything. I'll be as cryptic as I can. How do you deal with the aging issue? I mean, is this a person who is immortal in the sense that he just never ages or changes? Or Yeah, that was one of the breakthroughs of the book was what are the rules going to be because the rules have to be simple and simple is hard and you can't violate the rules so what happens to him is that he can die like any man he's mortal he never ages but he can die like any man but then he'll come back um and he comes back in the desert and a lot of this is very much attached to the desert so he's ageless and that's another problem he has trying to hide is that as, as the people around him age, especially his loved ones, he he doesn't. So that that just adds more conflict to to his life and hopefully to the story. Interesting, very interesting concept. I mean, it's really outside the box and um, a little Twilight Zone-ish, which I like. Right, <laughs> right. Um, and I like the uh, I, I like the fact that you resisted the idea of turning this guy into superhero. <laughs> Right, because that's no, I, <laughs> all the rage these days. It's, uh, it actually started out that way. That was that was how the screenplay started out. It was just dreadful, just dreadful. So it was uh, it did not work. Was, and I realized I was just basically writing Wolverine. So oh yeah, oh right, right. good point. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. That would be true. Yeah. <laughs> and also, he's the other thing I did. Was I? He doesn't. He's, he doesn't. A lot of a lot of people that are immortal in stories, and I'm not knocking these stories, but I just want to do something different. He doesn't force Gump through history. This is a guy that tried to remain hidden all these years. So, you know, there's not any of those moments where he's watching the the fall of the Roman Empire on TV, 
and he sort of smiles to himself because he was there. He, you know, that's not what he did. Well, I mean, and I think that that's, you know, it's tricky, right? Because you really want to be able to do that, right? I mean, you yes. really want to be able to comment on history through that type of character. And I'm, I'm, I'm finding this more and more intriguing that you're taking deliberate choices to step away from that. Uh, those are the types of things that you'd expect a Zelig or a Forrest Gump uh, type of approach. Mm -hmm. well, one of the things that broke, <clears throat> not to get too far in the weeds of the process, but I was really stuck on the Charlie character. What am I going to do with Charlie? Because he was Lenny from Of Mice and Men. And that was great 80 years ago, but it's been done a million times today. And I stopped writing for months. I had writer's block because I didn't like that. And I didn't have an idea. And then one day it just hit me. I said, maybe the opposite of my bad idea is a good idea. And I applied that to the Charlie character and it broke it through straight through to the end of the book. And I applied it in a hundred different ways throughout the book. And it just made it much more interesting to write. And um, it also, I'll give you one example. I don't think it'll, cause it's, it's in the excerpt that's posted on Breitbart, but in the original story, my guy goes to the rich people, they kill him. He goes back to his motel with his family and they come after him. And that's kind of what you expect. Right. But in my book, my guy's smart. He knows there's a good chance they're going to try and clean up these loose ends. So after they kill him, he goes back to kill them. So they can't hurt his family to protect his family. So it was just that was one of those things where I thought, this is a bad idea. What's the opposite of it? Well, I'll have my guy be a little more proactive. And suddenly it's a much better story because it's always better when your protagonist drives the story instead of just sitting around reacting. Right. No. And I agree. I mean, that's exactly what you want. And I think the, I, I think you're, I mean, I understand where you were coming from at first, because I think that there's a danger there that when you're doing this sort of almost kind of a Ramana Clef, right? I mean, you're, you're going through history with this one character and you want that person to have some sort of an impact. And so the, I mean, the, the temptation is very, very heavy there to, right. to something. I totally get that. Yeah. And I just thought, what's the opposite of that? And I thought, what if this guy just wants to be left to hell alone? Maybe, you know, it's, it's, that's more, I think it's just a way to avoid cliche. Well, I think, I think that would be unusual these days, right? There aren't yeah. a whole lot of people these days who just want to really want to be left alone. I mean, they, <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost want to ask you how you approach immortal an immortal um, with a Twitter account, but I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this guy, this guy would never have it to. Oh maybe my gosh! Yeah, maybe, yeah. That's a, maybe that's a lesson the rest of us should learn. <laughs> <laughs> he gets canceled in the first ten minutes. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and again, uh, the book is Borrowed Time by John Nolte. Again, it's available in all the bookstores. And uh, John, hold up the book another time. All right. It's a great cover that I had nothing to do with designing. They did a wonderful job on it. That is a, that's a really it's cool cover. Really, really great cover. Just buy it for the cover. Just There you go. Just, just put it up on the table. Makes it makes a great, uh, you know, floating shelf. Absolutely. You know, what do you call it? A knickknack. It makes a great <laughs> Buy two of them, just in case. You know, just there in case one go. wears out. Buy two of them. Um, so, um, when did this come out? This came out fairly recently, right? Yeah, it came out about I don't know, twelve days ago. I think it came out, and uh, it was, and I 
really appreciate you having me on, Ed, you know, because it's one of the things we're running into is that it's people, you know, on our side are so enveloped in politics and so concerned with, and I understand why, you know, you just, it's like I said, if I had written 99 reasons CNN sucks, it would make a bigger splash. So uh, it's been nice. I appreciate this very much. Well, I mean, I appreciate you doing this. And frankly, you know, we should be doing this more often just for S's and G's, man. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. Anytime. I'd be happy. Yeah, to. I, I'd love to do this. Um, all right. So now that it's out, I want to talk a little bit about the response to this, right? Because I mean, one of the reasons why I found out about this is because you were talking about the fact that there wasn't a lot of response to this. and those of us who make the point that uh, we really should be more involved in creating conservative, uh, or at least conservative origined uh, entertainment, mm -hmm. um, weren't reacting to this. And frankly, I just didn't even know about it until until I saw that. Uh, Mark Judge has made the same comment. In fact, yeah. I may have heard about this from Mark Judge. Um, uh, that you know he's talked about this a lot with his own work is that nobody's talking to him that he you know he's got a book that he thinks could be very easily uh transformed into a a, a film mm -hmm. uh, but nobody's willing to put money into that um or even attention and i you know I, I find that kind of an indictment you know those of us who are talking about stuff like this who aren't keeping up with it and uh so tell me a little bit about that journey <laughs> trying to get some attention well, to <clears throat> It's, you know, people on the right who care about the arts are not superior in any way to people who aren't. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying at all. Right, right. But people on the right who care about the arts are unicorns. People like you and me and Mark Judge, who wrote a great book, um, even though, you know, it's a nonfiction book, but it's a terrific book. Um, Andrew Clavin, Jeremy Boring, Alex Marlowe over at Breitbart, we're unicorns. Our side likes, is very concerned about politics for a whole host of good reasons. I mean, so much of, our, of, of the things we believe in are under assault now. We like sports uh, and, and, and uh, we like religion and family. So the arts are not a big part of it. And it, you know, that's why you can't, I didn't write this book to make any money because you're just not going to make money on it. And it is, it's a blind spot. Um, but you have to understand why it is the way it is. And I think another reason why a lot of people on the right don't embrace it is because it's lonely. I mean, if you want to talk about the arts, you have to be a lefty because that's where all the people are. So you, I think people tend to gravitate that way if they care about the arts. You know, it, uh, we had the greatest Pied Piper on the planet in Andrew Breitbart. And he tried to make this point over and over and over again. And things are better. I mean, you have, things are certainly better than they were when we launched Big Hollywood 15 years ago, but it's it's a very difficult sell. And again, I'm not criticizing anyone. Um, I don't think that because I love the arts or you love the arts or Andrew Clavin or Alex Marlowe loves the arts that that makes us somehow superior. It just makes us different and it makes it very hard to break in with, with something like this. It does. It does. And and look, I mean, I think that there's another reason for it too, which is I think that a lot of conservatives have just written off the yeah. entertainment industry. Yeah. I mean, we I hear this all the time. I'll write a movie review occasionally. I used to do it more often. I just don't go to the movies as much as I used to. Um, you know, maybe, that's how you started. You started writing movie reviews on IMDb. Yes. Oh, I wow. remember that. 
<laughs> that's before when I started blogging. Yes, yes. Yep, I remember that. Yeah. And um, and I really enjoyed that. And I, I I still enjoy going to the movies when I get a chance to do so. It's just, you know, it's not a big priority in my life. But I've never been one to say, I'm never going to watch a movie. I'm not going to turn on the television. I'm not going to watch the NFL ever, ever again, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. But there's a lot of conservatives who are saying this is uh, that these people are are the enemy, right? They're the cultural enemy. They're trying to undermine America, and I'm not going to participate in that. And I am very sympathetic to that. The problem is is that if you ignore it, it doesn't <laughs> doesn't go right. away. Right, right. And, and if and and the only way that's going to change it is if people go into the arts, which is a very difficult thing to do. I tried, and I didn't flame out because. I was a conservative. I flamed out. I flamed out because I wasn't a very good screenwriter. I'm not going to sit here and play the victim because that's not what happened. I had a lot of opportunities to make to make a go of it, but it is it is a very left wing culture, and um, it's a tough thing to break into. And I and it's you know and I met a lot of great people in Hollywood, and I worked with some fantastic people. Um, but you can see that, and I'd never touched this personally, the people I worked with, this wasn't an issue, but you can see there's a sleazy side to it. And our people like us just don't want to get into it. But, you know, it, it's so, it's so interesting because Breitbart went above and beyond helping me promote this book. They, what I dreamt of, they went above and beyond. But you go look at a, one of the posts we put up and uh, at Breitbart about my book and look at the comments. There'll be 700 comments, and I'm not I'm not in any way exaggerating. 680 of them are either complaining about the fact that we're promoting a book or they're doing the thread jacking where they talk about something else. Maybe 10 mention it. Again, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining at all because you don't go into this to make money. You don't get it, go into this to get rich. But that's just that's just the atmosphere out there. That's just the culture towards this stuff out there. And you'd think I'd have built some goodwill over there, but they just don't want to hear it. And that's that's just part of it. Yeah, you know, you can't change the culture unless you're willing to engage the culture. And right. I mean, that's absolutely the truth. You can't change the culture unless you're willing to engage the culture. And the more you retreat from it, the worse it gets. Um, you see that now. I mean, I should have you back on here to talk about Wish. <laughs> Did you see the trailer for Wish? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hopefully another Disney flop. Hopefully oh another Disney. There is there is one outcome from that that might make that might pay off, but there's no hint of it at all in the trailer. Um, we'll talk about that another time. But I mean, yeah. you know, there, there there's a story out today about how they're going to. Well, I mean, it's not a news story. It's been a, bubbling around for a while. How they're going to redo Bambi, um, right? To, to, to make it uh, more, uh, to modernize Bambi. We've all heard the stories about the new Snow White thing and how it's, you know, going to be very woke, very, you know, very girl powerish, which is, there's nothing wrong with girl power, but create new stories around that, you know? And, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah and they did, you know, um, Drew Barrymore, I think, did a, it might have been, it might have been Cinderella. But she did a thing called Ever After about 20 oh, years yeah, ago. Oh, yeah, it was really good. And she I totally heard. redid it. And it's a it's it's a girl power movie, but it's a good movie. I enjoyed the movie. I, I think I want a copy of it. So you can do it, but they just love to just take a dump over everything that matters to us. I think that's part of the joy of it. They do it with Star Wars, they do it with Indiana Jones, 
they just love to destroy what we love. And I think it's part of the thrill. And that's how broken the culture is in, in, in Hollywood. It's not about the message anymore. It's about just, just rubbing our face in it. Um, but hopefully, you know, and I could talk about this stuff forever, but hopefully, you know, merit is going to matter again pretty soon because these movies are flopping and the streaming wars are changing everything. But merit hasn't mattered in a long time in Hollywood because of the cable TV uh, syndicate they got going over there. But that's coming to an end. So who knows? Maybe maybe they'll figure it out and they'll have to actually make stuff that people like. Yeah, you know, and again, I think we're gonna, we're, we're just going to have to do this again to talk about some of these other issues because we're going to go into a really long discussion on those things. <laughs> finish up on borrowed time because i feel like i'm i feel like i put borrowed time on borrowed time a little bit in this podcast and i want to make sure we come back to it one more time <laughs> uh borrowed time by john nolte is out there right now you can you can buy it i'm assuming that there's an audio version um yeah I, we got an audible version um it's not in bookstores but it is at amazon and barnes and noble there's a kindle version i heard a little bit of the audio version it sounds great because they didn't have me do it so people <laughs> Uh, but I think I, I honestly do. I'm, I'm proud of the book. I, you know, you don't, you don't see me running around bragging about the movie I made 20 years ago. Um, so, I'm, but I am proud of the book and I think people will like it. I think they'll find it engaging. Um, and it's, you know, it's, if you want to dis lose yourself for a little bit, um, just remember what it was like to, to lose yourself in a story. That's, that was my only goal. That was my top goal. There you go. Hold up the book one more time, John. All right, here we go. I'll, I'll do a I'll do a double plus good and cover my face. There you go. Well, there you go. Borrowed time by John Nolte. I think you could have kept your face uncovered. It would have been even better, but that's okay. <laughs> John Nolte, uh, Breitbart.com. Uh, where else can people find you, by the way? I'm at uh, I'm on I'm a Twitter X at Nolte NC at Nolte North Carolina NC. So I'm there once in a while. It's all book stuff now, but that'll change, I'm sure, soon. Uh, does the book have a website? Uh, the book does not have its own website. Nope, nope. Uh, it said, but you, there'll probably be something about it at Bombardier Books or um, Post Hill Press. They're the they're the publishers. All right, all right. So go over to Bombardier and Post Hill Press and Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Go to your local bookstore because they'll appreciate the foot traffic if you can do that. But uh, if you're into the Audible thing, Borrowed Time by John Nolte. John, thanks for being here. We're going to get you back on here a little bit more often in the future. Oh, you're the best, Ed, and I'm happy to come on anytime. I appreciate this very much. <laughs>